too, because I don't want to leave anybody out. Hey, Brock, can you go hand these two out? I know you came to serve. Right on. Okay, so here's the deal. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, God can and will do some really unexpected things through some really unlikely people. Do you all agree with that? God can and will do some really unexpected things through some really unlikely people. And I hope that is something that we can amen throughout this message and throughout the course of our study in the book of Acts, because God's going to take some really unlikely people, and, and he's going to do some really amazing things through them. And with that in mind, everybody open your Bible, say, Word, Acts chapter 2, you've now received sugar, you should have energy. Some of you are like, but I didn't get a donut. I guess I should have prayed and asked God to bless and then multiplied, but all right, enough donut jokes. Acts chapter 2. Uh, again, God can and will do some pretty incredible things, some really unexpected things to some really unlikely people. We're turning our attention back to the book of Acts. We concluded chapter 1 last week. We saw Christ risen. He is risen and now ascended. He ascended from the mount called Olivet, and we watched as he, he rose into heaven with the, the bewildered disciples, and two angels showed up and said, why are you staring up into heaven? The same Jesus will turn in like fashion, and, and that is guaranteed, that Jesus will return. In fact, the next time Jesus' feet touch earth, the Mount of Olives will literally be split in two, east to west, north to south, and Christ will enter in through the valley created into Jerusalem to establish his theocratic rule, his kingdom, on planet earth. But we are told that our focus and our fixation is not to be spent trying to determine the time or the season of his return. In fact, in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, Jesus said, it's none of your business. You all remember this from last week. Verse 7, he said, it's not for you to know. There's so many times where we've got this itching desire to know. We want to scratch that itch. And we want to figure out when Jesus is going to return. Jesus is like, that's none of your business. That's not the point. Okay, it's not, our, it's not for us to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but it is. This is what we are supposed to be about. We are to be trained, mission-focused, Holy Spirit-filled witnesses. Okay, that is what we're supposed to be about. We are to be trained, mission-oriented, Holy Spirit-filled witnesses. Amen? Is that truth? Is that what we're supposed to be? Well, as we see through the text this morning, that is exactly what these witnesses were. We need to recognize that he is going to return. And you want to know what goes through my mind when I think of the return of Christ? Do you want to know? Want to know what goes through my mind? I want to be found faithful. That's what I want to be found. I want to be found doing his will. I want to be found trained, continually training, continually mission-oriented, Holy Spirit-filled, and witnessing and sharing the truth of Christ. That's what I want to be found doing when he returns. How about you? With all that said, the first chapter concluded with a group of apostles. Now numbering 12, we can debate uh, the validity of the appointment of Matthias uh, to replace Judas Iscariot. It was a selection that was made actually very well. I mean, they used scripture and common sense and prayer. The casting of lots, that was kind of a, an Old Testament practice that really wasn't necessary. And so they chose Matthias. And we can argue back and forth, is he really uh, the 12th apostle? I'm going to argue that it was man's choice with Matthias, God's choice we meet in chapters 8 and 9 in the apostle Paul. But what we have here are 120 Christ followers in the city of Jerusalem in the upper room. Why do you think they're in the upper room? What, do you, what is it about the upper room that keeps them centered there? What happened in the upper room? The Last Supper. We commemorate that every single Sunday, don't we? Where Christ took the cup and passed it, blessed it and passed it and said, take drink, symbolic of my blood. 
He broke the bread and he passed to take, eat. This is symbolic of my body. There's something about that place that was like where they wanted to be because that was the last meal they shared with Jesus. And every Sunday we, we commemorate that. We remember that, his sacrifice for us. And that's where they're gathering. They're of one spirit, one mind. They're rushing along in unison. Just like we saw last week in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says that they were in, with one mind. It's a very, very important Greek word that we'll see 10 times through the course of Acts. It is the Greek word homothumidon. And it means to rush along in unison. It's almost musical in essence that it's a, kind of like an orchestra as it's playing with, with one set of music, many different notes, but one song. And they're rushing along in unison, but they are waiting. They've been told to wait for power to undertake their mission. You see, they are trained, and they have their mission, and they have their message it's one thing to be trained, and it's one thing to have a mission and a message, but it's another thing entirely to be empowered to carry out that mission and live out that training. The apostles have waited roughly 10 days from the ascension of Christ until the arrival of the Holy Spirit, and something that we'll clearly see that ministry apart from God's power is misery. Ministry apart from God's power is misery. It is dry, it is lifeless, it is breathless, and it is certainly powerless. It is during that 10-day period that they selected Matthias as the 12th apostle. They spent their time in prayer, but we know heavy on their hearts and minds were the words of Jesus. Jesus had told them that he was going to send to them the Holy Spirit. In fact, Luke chapter 24 verse 49 says this, behold, I am sending the promise of my father. See, Jesus had made a promise they was going to send the, this power. They were going to be clothed from power from on high. But stay in the city. What city is that? What's that? Hey, you all get gold stars. Yeah, they're in Jerusalem. They're waiting. They're waiting witnesses. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. Remember, remember, by the time we get to the 28th chapter of Acts, the gospel has spread from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the outermost parts, i.e. Rome. Okay, wait till you're clothed with power from on high. The message would not move until they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and following, we saw this last week. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then last week in Acts 1.8, after they had asked about the times and the seasons, Jesus said, that's not for you to know, but this is. You will receive, what is that word? Power. It is the Greek word dunamai. You will receive dynamic power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. That when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we do witness. I mean, you, it's not a choice. When we are full of the Holy Spirit, we proclaim the gospel of Christ. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. But now, at this moment in the text, they're waiting. How many of you enjoy waiting? Yeah, me neither. I'm not a huge... How many of you are awake right now? <laughs> Just making sure. How y'all doing over here? Doing good? Okay, you need to do a little finger stretch? Wake up a little bit? They're waiting. What do you do when you wait? You twiddle your thumbs. You make airplanes. You just sit around and you pray and you wait. And, and then it happens. God does some really unexpected things when we wait. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. The text records this. The day has arrived. 
the day of Pentecost arrived, and they were all together in one place. It's very easy to give this passage just like a passing glance. This is one of the most significant days in the history, not just of the church, but of the world, really. The scripture records some pretty significant days. Birth of Christ, born of a virgin, y'all agree it's pretty significant? We celebrate it during Christmas. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You're awake, right? Okay. Um, how about his death on the cross? What day is that? We call that good what? Crushing Friday, terrible Friday, good Friday, right? It's a pretty important day. The day Christ was crushed, the Father crushed, chose to crush his son so he could lavish his grace on us, suffering our debt, our death. His resurrection, what day is that? What day do we commemorate that with? Easter, right? Pretty significant day, don't you agree? His ascension into heaven, is that a pretty significant day? Well, outside of those, I'll argue there is no more significant day than this day of Pentecost. Because this is the day when the church was born Pentecost was a very significant day. It was 50 days following Passover. It was one of the pilgrim festivals of Israel. Jews from all over the then known world would, would travel to Jerusalem specifically for the day of Pentecost. It was, a, it was a time of celebration, of offering of grain. It was a time to celebrate God for the harvest. It was also called the Feast of Weeks. It took place 50 days after Passover or a week of weeks, seven weeks uh, together. And they're gathered together, and there's this like festive feeling in the city, this expectation of a great party, but not realizing that this was the moment when God was not going to be gathering grain. No, he was there to gather souls. And that the disciples and the apostles were literally commanded to take the message to the nations, but what God actually did was bring the nations to Jerusalem. In fact, one of, uh, one of the ancient historians named Josephus argued that up to three million worshipers would flood into the city during the time of Passover. God literally brought the nations to Jerusalem. Isn't that fascinating? God's like, okay, I want you to take the message to all of the nations, but before you do that, I'm going to go ahead and bring the nations here. It's kind of like what he does in Dallas, right? It's almost as if God has brought people from all over the, then known, the now known world and they live here in Dallas and God's like, go out to the nations, i.e. cross the street and meet your neighbor. Isn't that incredible? Okay. Suddenly, and suddenly, is it a word that it means without notice or unexpectedly or abruptly? They weren't expecting this, okay? This, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Where did the sound come from? Class. Went from where? Come from where? From heaven, right? The text says it came from heaven. A sound like a mighty rushing wind filled the entire house. Oh, you don't have the verse. Ah, there it is. See, it came from where? From heaven. A sound like a mighty, and it's something we need to notice. It's not a mighty rushing wind, but it is the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And you know what it got me thinking of? It got me thinking of December 26, 2015, when the tornado hit Rowlett. See, I was totally ignoring the weather reports and all of the warnings to get inside and get in a bathtub and cover yourself with a mattress. I was outside packing my car for a vacation because I'm stubborn and dumb. <laughs> Madeline's like, get in the bathroom. What are you doing? I'm like, we're going on vacation. 
tell me. I, I know there's no storm. I'm backing up the, I'm packing up the car. I swear, oh my gosh, what is that? And I look up and the sky turned this like sickish blue green thing and lightning and I could tell this was no ordinary storm and then it just got quiet. And you could feel the energy. I mean, it was like, you, 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 tell, you hear people say like the back of the, the, neck of the hair on the back of my neck stood up. I'm like, even now as I describe it. And then the sound. Like a, a thousand freight trains crashing into our community. And I ran back inside and I jumped on top of the mattress and Madeline from underneath goes, so what's your plan, buddy? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just want to go on vacation. And then the sound grew just louder and louder. And it was like that freight train was going through the middle of our house. The sound was deafening. You know what it was? It was the sound of a mighty rushing wind filling our entire house. And I believe that's what Luke has in mind when he writes that their house was filled with the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And imagine it was terrifying. And it was loud. And it not only shook the house, but the streets, and it would reverberate throughout the entire city of Jerusalem across the stone streets. Immediately, people all over their city going, what's that? God's like attracting people. Verse 3, and then divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They first felt and heard, and now they see. And you're, you can see here that Luke is like struggling to describe it. He's like, it's like the sound of a mighty rushing wind, but it's not wind. And it's, it's like tongues of fire, but it's not fire. And he's trying to describe the manifested presence of a holy God. These worshipers are now like, they're like in the presence, the manifested presence and glory of the living God. And it says that the tongues of fire began to rest on each one of them individually, fingers of like fire aligning on each. This was no fireball. This was no out of control inferno. No, this was the discerning fire of the Holy Spirit. Aligning on each believer gathered, they are at this moment baptized and filled. Man, there are a few different expressions. This got me thinking of the Old Testament where God would show up and, and his, his presence would be manifested in power. One of those places that comes to mind is 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. Solomon is, has just completed the construction of the temple, son of David. And he offers this beautiful uh, prayer of dedication of the temple. And there's this sacrifice, and then God's manifested presence shows up. Verse 1, it says, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, what came down from heaven? Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple to the point where the priests were literally kicked out. God's like, get out. Was filled with his presence, it goes on to say, and the priest could not enter the house because of the Lord, because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces on the ground on the pavement. I mean, like straight up, like, you guys, you see what I'm saying here? This stage smells funny. 
I'm really regretting this. But they, that's, that's a picture. They fell with their faces down on the pavement, and they did what? They worshiped, and they gave thanks to the Lord. Hey, fam, let's say this together. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Family, what was the purpose of the temple? Come on, yell it out. Worship, what else? Sacrifice, what else? Forgiveness of sins. Service, prayer, praise. It was also to bring glory. It was the glory among the nations, wasn't it? It was to be this light on a hilltop to bring the nations to saving relationship with God. And what I want us all to see is that's very significant, this, this temple. But I want you to now look at Acts chapter 2 because at this moment, it's not just the house that's filled with what looks like or sounds like a mighty rushing wind. It's not just the house that is filled with what appeared to be tongues of fire aligning on each one of them. No, it was every believer who was filled, thus making every single believer a temple of the living God. Come on, someone amen that. Come on, what, like, y'all following here? That makes each and every one of us a temple of the living God. So what is our purpose? Worship. Prayer, praise, sacrifice, bringing glory to God and proclaiming his name to the nations, right? So often people talk about uh, our bodies are the temple of the living God, and we use that verse in reference to like not overeating. Like how much more significant when we recognize, no, we're the temple of the living God. We are made for worship. We are filled with his presence. We are made for praise. We are made for proclamation. We have a purpose, and he has a plan. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were all clothed with power from on high. And I want to say this because many readers will read this passage as if it's prescriptive of how the Holy Spirit comes on people. And what I mean by that is they'll, they'll expect to see wind, fire, and tongues. Like, they'll almost demand to see physical signs that somebody has received the Holy Spirit, i.e. saved. And I want to tell you right now, as I said last week, we are opening up what is the text. It is a time capsule. It is descriptive of how God manifested his presence on the day of Pentecost with his 120 gatherers. But this does not mean that this is how God comes on each and every one of us as a believer. Because listen to this, the Holy Spirit is not wind. He, well, he's more like holy breath. Did you know receiving and being filled with the Holy Spirit is, is as simple as breathing? That literally we exhale, Lord God, I believe in you. Please save my soul. We inhale his presence. God, the Holy Spirit is, is not fire, but he purifies. And he makes holy. I have heard people asking God to manifest his presence like this passage describes. Like, God, blow in this place. God, consume us in your fire. And I'm like, whoa. We need to recognize that fire has a significant purpose from here on out. And it's called judgment. Okay, so we're literally asking, God, pour out your fire. No, I don't want to get roasted up. Okay? Like, quit praying that. It's God, fill us with your presence. And I think what happens is, is people get so focused on the miraculous, we're like miracle-like chasers, that we forget that the greatest gift is not the miracle, but the presence of God. We should truly desire his presence. 
And again, receiving the Holy Spirit is as simple as breathing. And I'll, I want to notice, I want you to notice here, there's nothing, there's, there's no chaos, okay? It's a little confusing, but you don't see people falling all over the place. You don't see people laughing like hyenas, Okay, there's nothing crazy except for the fact that the end of verse 4, it says, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Family, that's miraculous. Okay, and they're not speaking spiritual languages. They're speaking literal, earthly languages. Languages they had not studied or probably never even heard. And it just so happens that they are declaring the glory of God in all of the languages of all of the different nations that are gathered in Jerusalem at the time for the Feast of Pentecost. It's almost as if God used exactly what is necessary to get the attention of the exact people he's trying to reach. I wonder if he still does this today. And I find this fascinating because these apostles and these disciples are speaking, and what I see here is very cool. It's like a reversal of Genesis chapter 11. Can somebody tell me what happened in Genesis 11? Was that you, David? Gold star. You want a gold star? Thumbs up? 10 points? What, what is your preference? you have a preference? Would God bless those? Because God bless donuts? Yeah, it's the Tower of Babel. You see, you see in Genesis chapter 11, you see all of humanity with one language and one purpose and one tower and operation of just like total disobedience. And so God confounded their languages and the people were dispersed. And what I see here is like this reversal where God uses all of these different languages to bring them together under one name, Jesus, for one body, the church. He's like reversing it. And then through the manifested presence and glory of God, I want us to keep in mind that mostly everyone gathered in Jerusalem in Pentecost this morning spoke primarily Aramaic and Greek. I mean, that was the common, that was the language Franco of the day. That was the common language, Aramaic and Greek. But all of these gatherers had come from different parts of the, of, of the then known world and they brought with them their, their primary language, their primary tongue, like where, where, what they, they spoke when they were kids. And it's just like us. We have a primary language. Like, I tried to learn a secondary language. I tried to learn Spanish. No bueno. Like, I was muy malo at it. And um, I went down to Mexico and, like, tried the immersion technique. And it got worse. But I was there. And, and I was just inundated with Spanish. And I was going to learn. And I asked a lot of really awkward questions and said some things that people were like, oh, that's, that's not what you think it means. And, but I heard, every now and then I'd hear someone speaking English and I'd be like, who said that? You're my friend. <laughs> because there's something about our primary language that just catches our attention. And this is what happens. Look at verse 5. Now there were dwelling. That word dwelling means there were some living. So some Jews from around, uh, in and around the then known world had migrated back to Jerusalem. But there were also visitors for the celebration. Uh, devout men and women from every nation under heaven. Uh, it, it wasn't from every nation. I mean, it's kind of an exaggeration. It was from every then known nation under heaven. And this sound, at this sound, the multitude came together. What sound? A thousand freight trains hitting a house. How many of you all would want to go check that sound out? Dude, every time there's a fender bender, we want to check it out. Right? You've been on the, everyone's like, a thousand freight trains hitting a house. Yeah, I checked that out. And also the sound of all of these languages being spoken as these 120 people burst out into the streets and they start proclaiming the glory of God in all these tongues. And at the sound, they came together and they were bewildered. 
Because something that is impossible is now possible because each one was hearing them speak in his own language and they were amazed and astonished saying, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Like they could tell just by their style of dress and their accent that these were not well-traveled, well-taught, well-learned people. These were not wealthy, upper-class folks. These were Galilean, simple folks. And they're like, how is it possible that these simple Galileans are speaking all of these different languages? And what we see here is the specific purpose of the filling of the Holy Spirit is to declare the glory of God. They are filled and they are declaring And it captures the minds of those listeners. Verse 8, it says, How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome. That's Luke's way of going, wink, wink. See, the gospel is going to go from Jerusalem in Acts 28 to Rome. And everywhere in between, he's, he's referencing, or they're referencing countries that are representative of contemporary North Africa, up through Israel, Syria, Turkey, all the way west towards Greece, Italy, then Rome. It's like God brought all of the people, all of the nations to Jerusalem, where all the missionaries are then going to go. He's like, go to the nations, but before you do, I want to bring the nations here, and then when you get there, you guess what? The churches might already be there. <laughs> goes on to say both Jews and proselytes, that is those who were born Jewish and those who who were converted to Judaism, and there's Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed, perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? And when you see God moving in power, what happens is people will respond in like fashion. They'll say, hey, what does this mean? I was was just talking with a a couple from Firewheel. They've been going to Firewheel for the past, I'd say about six months, maybe a year. And uh, their heart breaks for Africa. And, And not just the whole continent, but their heart breaks for a small country in Western Africa called Burkina Faso. Haven't you ever heard that place? Wow, you guys are way smarter than me. Uh, I'd never heard of it. And, and they're describing their heart, their love for this country. It is, it's small. Uh, it is mostly Muslim and, and predominantly uh, pervaded with like cultic practices. The average life expectancy is somewhere between 47 and 57. The average age in the country is 17. Just war-torn and, and poverty-stricken and, and illnesses and sicknesses. And there's literally kids, and I believe it's every third-born child is considered to be in some of these cultic practices like a demonic spirit, and so they literally leave it out in fields to die. And there's a ministry there that goes and gets those kids, and they're, they're like, they're, no, they're, they're ours. We're going to raise them and love them. Literally redeeming kids from death. And so this couple, check this out. They're gathering up 300 jump ropes, 300 t-shirts, and they need a couple thousand bucks to go to Burkina Faso so they can put on the very first VBS. You know, think about that for a second. A vacation Bible school in the middle of this war-torn, impoverished country in this village, literally for kids that were purchased from death, and they're going to put on this VBS. We take it for granted. They're everywhere. VBSs are everywhere, and they have been forever, and you go on every street corner, and some of you parents are like, it is the best way to get childcare. I'll stop off at this church one week, this church the next week, that church the week after that. Man, I got my whole summer planned out. Honey, we are going to have some great date nights, 
But in a place like Burkina Faso, they've never seen anything like this. And when it happens and they see 300 kid with, kids with jump ropes and 300 kids in VBS shirts and they're singing and they're laughing and they're dancing, the surrounding villages are going to come and ask, what does this mean? You know what it means? It means they are lavishly loved by God. The nations are loved, family. And we're not only supposed to take this message to our neighbors and neighborhoods, but we're also to take it to the nations. It has always been a local, regional, statewide, international, global undertaking. It always has been. What does this mean? It's, it's fascinating, the contrast of reactions, because you have one group who's just like bewildered, amazed, and perplexed, asking what does this mean? And then you have this other group who's like, ah, it's just a bunch of drunks. It's fascinating, this small minority of mockers tearing down the work of God. Look at verse 13, but others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Apparently new wine is sweeter and higher in alcohol. And they begin to laugh and point fingers. They're just a bunch of drunks. What a blasphemous thing to say about a work of God. To misconstrue the filling of the Holy Spirit with drunkenness. And then Peter stands up. I love Peter. He is the failure of Passover, now the preacher of Pentecost. Don't tell me God can't use anyone. He can use anybody. He can do remarkable things to the most unlikely people. Peter stands up um, with the eleven. He lifted up his voice and he addressed them. You see, God did everything it took to gather a crowd. Then Peter stands up in the filling of the Holy Spirit and is about to preach the Pentecost sermon. Thousands of souls are about to be saved here. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. Why? It's only nine in the morning. It's only the, the third hour of the day. We wait till at least noon, okay? So, no, that's not what he says. <clears throat> he rises and he preaches. And, and I want you to see this. Where does the very first church service take place? This is cool. Outside. Never was about a building. Never was. First church service takes place outside. The first sermon, he preaches. Peter stands up to preach. He speaks to believers and unbelievers alike. He speaks to the nations. The purpose of the church has always been engaging the nations. From the very beginning, the purpose of spirit filling is proclamation of the name of Jesus. And then what I start to recognize too is the farther we get away from the nations, the farther we get away from our neighbors, the higher our fences get, the more we inoculate ourselves with buildings and programs and pageantries, the more we remove ourselves from the actual purpose of why we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And I have a question for you, family. Why would God fill us with power if we refuse to obey him. If he says, here's your mission, here's your message, and we go, okay, I'm not going to do that, but can you fill me with the Holy Spirit? Why would God fill us with power if we refuse to undertake his mission and take his message out? We'll pick that up next time we're looking at the book of Acts, but what I want to do is give you a few applications First is this, God can and will do really unexpected things with some really unexpected people. That's a long application, but y'all get what I'm getting at here. Someone described, yell out, who was represented in the 120? What kind of people? We know there was a carpenter's wife, 
fishermen. A couple of prostitutes probably in there. Maybe a couple of murderers. Who else? Pharisees, tax collectors. Probably some addicts in there. I mean, it's kind of a hodgepodge, right? And as I think about that, God used 120 people who were trained, mission-oriented, spirit-filled to literally rock the nations. And as I think about us as a church, and sometimes we think, well, we're so small in number. We're not like those mega churches down the street. I mean, what kind of impact can we really have? And I look out here and I'm like, we've got, well, maybe a, twice 120 and maybe 240, 300 people. And I'm like, if God can rock all of the nations with 120 people, you're telling me you do not believe that he can do incredible, unexpected things through unlikely people like us? Do you believe that God can do the incredible through us? Family, you want to know what my prayer has been and continues to be? Please, God, do something at Firewheel in and through this place that only you can do. I am not interested in implementing another program or a more pageantry. No, God, do what only you can do in this place. Please pray that prayer. God, do what only you can do. Because I know that God can do the unexpected, and he can use the unlikely to do it, to get it done. Clearly from Acts chapter 2. Second application is this, our mission. What is our mission if you choose to accept? What is it? To make disciples. To take the message of Christ to all nations. That Christ has died for the world. That God loves the world so much so, he sent his son to the cross to die for the world's sins. Christ was buried and he has risen. All who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We were to literally take the gospel to all of the nations. It's always been an international, global undertaking. So the question that I have, and, and I want you to chew on this, how are you involved in the mission? I love playing football. Absolutely loved it. Oh, I mean, I, I love playing the games. I hated training for it. I hated practice. I was not a big fan of practice because it was terrible. They just ran you and ran you, and you had to hit and 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 hit. And then finally, Friday came or Saturday came, and you got to play. I loved it. Loved it. Just imagine you're on the sidelines of a football game. You walk up to a guy. He's got his pads on, jersey. Got that stuff, you know, under his eyeballs. Makes him look real tough. Uh, got a couple of bands, maybe John 3.16 written on one or two. Got his helmet, water bottle. And uh, you go, hey, what position do you play? Oh, oh no, I don't, I, don't play, I don't play football. I just like looking like I do. <laughs> we laugh, but isn't that how we behave as, as Christians? My question is, what position do you play? Are you getting trained? We are supposed to be trained. We are supposed to be discipled. Family, we need to be discipled. We need to be trained and equipped. We need to be trained, mission-oriented, Holy Spirit-filled witnesses. What position do you play? I mean, it's, it's easy, right? It's easy to, to play the part. It's easy to like park in a parking lot on a Sunday morning and come to church and, and play the role. But my question is, what position are you playing? How are you living as a trained, mission-oriented, Holy Spirit-filled witness? It's not enough 
for us just to look like we're in the game. It is our job. It's our mission. We are all missionaries, family. Every single one of us. Well, finally, and less convictingly, um, don't listen to the mockers. Because when you live this way, when you step out in purpose, you are going to face mockers. When you walk in the purposes of God for your life, you're going to face people who are going to mock you and make fun and malign. In fact, uh, this particular day, there were a group of people there mocking the work of God, maligning his servants, calling them drunks, attacking their character and their message. And that's tough. I tell you, it's tough. But here's here's the deal, family. Do not be deterred. Do not let the mocking deter you from your mission. Our mission is to reach the nations. Do not believe the lie that a group this size cannot reach the nations. We can, and we're going to. Please say amen. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your wonderful word and the challenge it is for us when we open it, we cannot help but get cut. It's tough. It really is hard, Lord, because I I struggle with this idea of being on mission all the time. Man, sometimes I just don't want to be on mission. But I want to be filled with your spirit. So, Lord, with that said, um, please humble my proud heart to submit to your authority and your will and purpose for my life and your will and purpose for our lives together corporately. As a church, may we humble ourselves before you to take seriously your message and your mission that we would take seriously training and we would get trained, we'd get discipled, we'd breathe in Holy Spirit and we would walk in that power. We beg you and we plead for our surrounding community. Please, Jesus, save. Jesus, please save these families, these kids, these folks who live in and around this property, in and around Dallas, in and around Texas, our country, and the nations. God, please save. Please harvest. And may we be found faithful followers and laborers when you return. If you're here this morning and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please listen. Jesus really did die for your sins. The Bible states that we are separated from God because of sin. And the wages that we earn from that is death. We do not have eternal life. We do not have eternal breath. We are breathing, but every breath closer and closer to the grave. The Bible declares that Christ died for you. He was buried and he is risen. He is alive right now. The Bible states that if you believe in him, trust in him, seeking forgiveness for your sins and seeking true life in him, you will be saved. So if that is you, in the quietness of your heart, tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I ask you for forgiveness for my sins. Please wash me clean. Please, Jesus, come into my life. The Bible states that that is your heart's prayer. 
just passed from death to life, from blindness to sight, from eternal death to now eternal life. You are filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized. You're forever his child. Welcome to the family of God.